Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin. My goal with every episode is to share information and resources to help you achieve the next level of growth in your expertise-based business. We all know generating income from our expertise is pretty easy. The challenge is in scaling and building a business that can run without you. Join me here every week to make sure you are building an asset that can be used to fund your goals and your legacy. Before we get started though, one little disclaimer, because I'm a lawyer. The information I share on the podcast is general in nature and is provided for information purposes only. It is not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about any specific issue or set of facts. Now, here we go. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly Dex podcast. Today, we're going to talk about whether or not you can use an intellectual property asset. As you know, I say that IP is everywhere. We make it all day, every day. As an expert, every time you use your intellect, you are probably creating intellectual property. The issue is, do you own it? I like to ask, do you own what you think you own? Because ownership is the key to asset creation. And asset creation is the key to leverage. That means you're able to decouple your income and your impact from your time. Now, closely related to the issue of ownership is use. So you may have or have access to an asset and wonder whether or not you can use it. And yes, ownership is key to answering the question to whether or not you can use it. That is the right question to ask. I sometimes get this question in the form of, can I use this book in my course? Can I create a workshop out of it? Can I make worksheets out of it? And so this will be a conversation about how you can use intellectual property in your business, certainly when you own it, but also when you don't own it. Because of course, there is lots of intellectual property that flows through our business that we do not own. So we need to understand how we can use IP that we don't own. So you know that there is a symbol graphic that goes with this conversation. It visualizes the categories of sources of intellectual property and uses of intellectual property that I will be discussing. You can find a link to that graphic in the show notes. It is also available in my library of free resources that are available to subscribers of my email list. So lots of good stuff there. So I do, of course, highly recommend you get on my email list. So now let's dig in. So first, let's talk about the sources of the intellectual property that flow through your business and what we own and therefore what we can use or how we can use it depends upon the source. So the sources. First, you, things that you create your employees. And by that, I mean your W-2 employees. You're paying the employment taxes, you're withholding taxes and paying them. Third, contractors. So these are the other people that are not your W-2 employees. And it doesn't matter how long you work with your contractors, how wonderful the relationship is. If you're not issuing them W-2s, then they are not employees and they fall under the contractor bucket. So we have two types of contractors, those who work 
with a signed agreement and those who work without a signed agreement. And then we have other third-party materials. They may be your client's materials, things that you have licensed to you where you're the licensee, and there are other sources such as the internet or ChatGPT and things like that. So these are kind of undocumented sources. And then the uses. I put uses in five buckets, tools, marketing, client work, products, and exit. So those are things that you would be able to transfer when you sold your business. So tools, those are any internal resources that you use to do the work. This could be productivity software, your CRM, certification materials, books, databases, frameworks, SOPs, marketing. These include any materials created for public use, but not for sale. These include lead magnets, white papers, your website, webinars and speeches, social media posts, podcast episodes, email newsletters, client work. So those are the deliverables from the services you provide your clients under a services agreement. Products, anything for non-internal use that is for sale, including books, software, courses, training programs, licensed products, meaning where you're the licensor, such as train the trainer type of licensing program. And exit. That refers to what happens to the IP in the event of the sale of your business. Could the IP asset be transferred to the buyer? So now we're going to talk about the unrestricted use of the assets and restricted use of assets. So first, anything that you own that you have the unrestricted rights to, you can use for all or any of those five buckets of tools, marketing, client work, products, and exit. So let's review what you own that you have unrestricted rights to. So you own anything that is original, so it wasn't based on somebody else's work and was created outside of a client engagement. We'll talk about the client engagement later. That's going to be restricted use. So those could be created by you, of course, by your W-2 employees. You automatically own, by law, the things that are created by your W-2 employees in the course of their employment. So that would be whether or not they've signed an employment agreement. And then by a contractor, but the contractor must have signed a services agreement that grants you all the rights and the deliverables. And there is some magic language that you need in your services agreement, work for hire language, assignment of all rights to the extent it's not work for hire. And to the extent that it is a licensed material, sometimes contractors have their pre-existing materials, then making sure that you have a license to do whatever you need to do with those deliverables. I'm reading this, I'm thinking about whether or not I've done a episode about services agreements and I don't think I have. So I think that will be the next one. In each instance, created by you, created by your W-2 employees, created by a contractor who signed a services agreement, that granted you all rights in the deliverables, you are the copyright owner and you have unrestricted rights to use it for all purposes, tools, marketing, client work, products, and exit. So the exception would be if for some reason against my strongest advice, you have granted some rights to a third party, such as some restricted uses in connection. Usually this happens with non-competes. So you own something, it's your expertise, you developed it, you own it, and then you agree to a non-compete in the client agreement. 
which basically tells you how you can use your intellectual property asset. You wouldn't let someone tell you how you can use your car, how you can use your house. Don't let anybody tell you how you can use your IP assets. All right, restricted use. So if you aren't the exclusive copyright owner, there are restrictions on how you can use that asset. And your permitted use typically will be set forth in a written agreement, or it may be deemed through intellectual property law in the absence of an agreement. Here are sources where you do not own the copyright and how you use the IP must be determined on a case-by-case basis by either the contract or IP law. So those are client deliverables, whether created by you, your employees, or your contractors with or without signed agreement. The agreement will dictate who owns the deliverable. Typically, a client will want to own as much as they can. And if you're signing whatever they send you without looking at it, they're going to own 100% of those deliverables. And they might even own some of your pre-existing materials as well. So you always want to make sure that you understand what's there. Your contractors without a signed agreement, I'm going to explain why that would be restricted in a minute. And then third-party materials, such as those where you're the licensee. So obviously you don't own it. The licensor owns the IP. The licensee has permission to use the IP. And then other sources like the internet, et cetera. Going back to the client work, as you know, it was in the use category above where when you own an asset, you can use it with your clients. You have the permission to use it however you want, including with client work, and you can grant them rights in the IP that you own. But it also can be a source of intellectual property. You, as the expert, may be commissioned to create the asset for a client. And so you are actually creating the asset But if you have, assuming that you have a signed client agreement that vests the rights in that deliverable to the client, you do not own it. And so when the services agreement says the client owns it, that means you don't have the rights to reuse that or to use it with other clients. You would need permission from the client to use any client deliverable for any other purpose. Often the client engagement will say that that deliverable is confidential information of the client. So you cannot use it or you cannot disclose it for any purpose other than in connection with that engagement with that client. So you need to make sure you are aware of what your client agreements say. Contractor deliverables. If you hire a contractor to create deliverables for you, in this instance, you're the end client, like you're the client, you're asking them to create it for you. Or it could be that they're a subcontractor, you have an end client, and there's some piece of that engagement that you need to hire a subcontractor for. What you own will depend on the existence of and the language in the services agreement you enter with the contractor. First, you know, always, always, always have a written agreement. If you have a written agreement and it includes that very important work for hire, and assignment language, then you own it. If it's subcontracted, then the client work rules would apply. So I'm going to explain that. Let's say you're the end client. You hire a contractor to write some copy for your website. And you have a written agreement that says everything that they write, you're going to own. So you will be the copyright owner and you can do whatever you want to with that website copy because you own it. You can use it in marketing materials. You can use it 
in your webinars. You can use it in a book that you write someday. That's yours. Now, let's say it's subcontracted. Let's say you're a web designer. You're a web designer and your client also wanted you to create some niche thing that needs a little bit of programming to make it work. And so your client agreement says that they will own all of the deliverables and then you subcontract the niche programming piece to a subcontractor. You need to make sure that you're getting all the rights from that subcontractor via a written agreement with the magic work for hire assignment language. And then that would flow right through you to the client. So those rights wouldn't even stop with you. They'd flow right through you to the client. You get in trouble, of course, if you don't have that agreement with the subcontractor and the client, your client agreement says that you need to deliver 100% of the rights to the client, then you are in breach of your client agreement. Again, always be mindful of written agreements whenever intellectual property and whether or not you think of it that way or not, whenever deliverables are being created by experts, you want to make sure that there are written agreements that tell you who owns the deliverables. So if there is no written agreement, the contractor owns it. If no written agreement, the human being who creates a copyrightable material is the copyright owner, unless they're your employee or you have a written agreement. So that contract will own it if you don't have a written agreement. What you would have is a non-exclusive license to use it. So that's kind of default under IP law. And in this case, the contractor is the licensor. The licensor is the party who owns the IP. And you are the licensee, the person who has permission to use the IP, but you are not the owner. Because you have a non-exclusive license and not ownership in that piece of IP, that means the licensor, in other words, the contractor, remains free to exploit the same intellectual property and to allow any number of other licensees to also exploit that same intellectual property. So if you want to get exclusive rights or you want to own it outright, must be in writing. All right. The last source would be third-party materials. So where might these come from? From your former employer. A lot of us come out of corporate and we do work similar to what we were doing in-house. And maybe there are some things that you created there as an employee, but as an employee, anything you create is owned by the employer. So anything you take from your former employer is owned by your former employer. We get stuff off the internet, we all do it, but we got to think about how we're going to use it, all the things that we got off of the internet. You may go to a conference and they hand out these great materials. You may go to a training and you get these great materials. Those are all third-party materials. You do not own those. And so you need to understand what rights you have to use them. We talked about the implied license in the contractor context when you don't have a written agreement, but we also have explicit written licenses. We enter these all the time with your software that you use, your website host. Maybe you have a certification. Typically certifications will give you a license to use some of their materials with your clients. Maybe there's an assessment tool that you get to use or evaluation tool that you get to use and that is owned by the certifying entity. And you as a participant have a license to use it, but that license usually will have restrictions on how you can use it. It will be a non-exclusive license. Typically, these are all typical. Obviously, every license is different because there are contracts and every contract's different. 
But typically, under these circumstances, you will have a non-exclusive license and that you will not have the right to sub-license it. And so if you get that valuation tool from you are certified by Institute of Management Consultants and you have a CMC and they provide tools for you, that does not mean that you can then use those tools to create other materials that you're going to sell to third parties or license to third parties. So those third-party materials, how you can use them, typically the use is restricted. And so you will have to look on a case-by-case basis how you can use them in those five buckets. Can you use it as a tool? I mean, maybe it's licensed to you as a tool. So obviously you can use it. Can you use it in your marketing? If it's something that is for internal use only and they don't give you permission to use it in your marketing materials, like you can't say, I use this, you can't put it in your marketing that you are using this tool that you got from a third party, then you can't use it in your marketing. Typically, you can use tools in client work, but there may be restrictions if your client wants to own the deliverable and you're using something that you only have a non-exclusive license to, then that would be problematic. I mean, that would be the case, let's say you were creating a website for someone and you put photographs on there that you don't own the rights to or that you can't get a perpetual rights to. That's something that only we can only use for one year and renewing license fee, your client's going to be very unhappy that you've delivered this work that they wanted to own at 100%, but you have these short-term license materials in there. Typically, you can't use license materials in products. Products would only be things that you own. It's possible that you have the right to sublicense some of those things. Let's say you are creating a book, for instance, and you have gotten permission from a third party to use a graphic that they have that has data on it, and you want to include that in your book, and you would go to them and get permission. That's what a license is. I want permission to use this graphic in my book. It may or may not be for a fee. Typically, it would be for a fee. If you're making money, they should make money. But in any case, that you would need to make sure that you have the rights to that. That's not something you can do without getting permission. And then with the exit, it would depend, again, on the nature of the permission to use it. Some things are transferable, like if you have a software license that you typically you can assign it to the acquirer of your entire business. But there are other things where someone's providing something that is specific to you and they would not want you to be able to assign rights in that item to an acquirer. So that really, again, the value would be in the things that can be transferred to a buyer. And those would be the things typically that you own or things that you have a license that is transferable but that would be restricted and you want to make sure that you understand the uses there. So this brings us to fair use. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because fair use, very simply, it is a defense. It is not an affirmative right to use somebody else's IP. A license is an affirmative right to use an IP. I, licensor, owner of the IP, give you permission, licensee, to use this piece of this asset. Fair use would be if it is deemed to be fair use after an analysis by a federal court that it's fair use, then it would not be considered an infringement. Well, 
That means you have to go through the process. If you have an objection, you might use something for fair use and the copyright owner goes, yeah, it looks fair to me. And they don't, they're fine with it. They're not offended by it. And it's fine, it's fair use. But if they are, the only way say that, nope, it's not an infringement, it was fair use. Well, that requires a lawsuit in federal court and nobody wants to do that. So I would be very, very careful about relying on fair use. Obviously, things like the nature of the work that you're used, if it's something that's kind of historic facts, was less offensive than something that's highly creative. Um, using something that you're taking a teeny tiny portion of is less offensive than using something that's like the most recognizable part of the work. If you do something that would effectively replace the original owner's work, like creating a summary of a book, Now they don't have to buy the owner's book. That's obviously not going to be fair use. And so just so we're clear, what will never be considered fair use is providing credit to the source. That is not the same thing as permission. And so giving the owner a link or an acknowledgement doesn't matter. That would still be infringement if it's not a fair use. And any disclaimers that you didn't intend to commit copyright infringement except you did. So if you have any questions about whether you can use somebody else's work, book and ask Aaron call. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening. Do not forget to check out the show notes for links to connect with today's guest and for the resources, offers, and organizations that we discussed. You can also find the links at hourlytoexit.com backslash podcast. If you got value from this episode, please subscribe. And I'd be so grateful for a review. I'm here to support your journey.